This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Hey, good morning, everyone. It's really great that uh, we can all come here this morning to look at God's Word. Uh, let's go to God in prayer as we prepare our hearts uh, before we actually hear from His Word. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Uh, dear Father, as we come before you today, uh, we really want to thank you so much for indeed you are a good God as we've seen in your creation, in your relationship to men and women. And dear Father, we also have learned about how uh, because of man's desire to be like God, uh, Adam and Eve sinned against you. And dear Father, as we come now to the offspring of Adam and Eve, we pray that we may see the arc of the storyline and to learn the truth about who you are, who we are, and the problems that we face. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, um, I want to show you something. So uh, this is a club. Okay, so you're actually meant to, it's not a baseball club, but actually it's meant to be uh, for personal protection. And this club is uh, 50 years old. And my parents uh, had always had it beside their bed uh, ever since I was a child, ever since I could remember. And I remember asking my parents, why is it they had this club uh, next to their bed? And apparently it was because when I was a very young boy, uh, still a baby in a cot, uh, some people broke into their house and tied them up and robbed them of all their belongings. So this club really is for personal protection against uh, violent people. So I wonder whether any of you have actually been a victim of violence or whether you've seen violence. And if you've seen violence or been a victim of violence, then you ask yourself, where is the problem of violence coming from? Why is there this problem of violence? And more importantly, what is the solution to the problem of violence? Well, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the book of Genesis and we can see the arc of the story. Uh, which is quite clear. So right at the very beginning, uh, we saw how God is a good God and how God actually made a good world and he placed us in this world and he made us rulers under this world. And that's the story of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. But as we saw last week, uh, Adam and Eve rejected God, but instead they chose to be their own gods instead. So I like the illustration that uh, that Y gave last week, uh, because eating the fruit from the knowledge of uh, good and evil, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, essentially represented uh, what uh, Y said last week as crossing the line. So basically, Adam and Eve had a choice last week. They could choose to stay on one side of the line, which is the side of the line where <clears throat> God had created a perfect good world and put them under him, made them in the image of God, and they would be satisfied and content to be living under God's rule in God's place. Or they could cross the line and they could seek to be God themselves and to rule the world themselves and to be independent of God. Well, as we saw last week, the choice was that Adam and Eve chose to believe the deception of the serpent of Satan, and they cross the line to be independent, to be gods themselves, and to be rulers of the world outside of God. So if we look at the trajectory of the story so far, we find ourselves uh, at this place, right? So if you could think of it in terms of a graph, it begins where 
God places man in a very good world and everything is perfect, everything is good. But from last week, we saw that actually things become bad where men and women choose to be gods themselves and uh, they reject God and be independent from God. They want to run life their own way. And so God casts them out from the Garden of Eden. So as we come to now Genesis chapter 4, we are kind of given uh, a choice in terms of what's going to happen. So will the, uh, the trajectory go back up to things being good the way they were or the trajectory be downwards where things get worse and worse or will they just plateau and everything will be the same as it has always been? So let's look now at the Bible passage that we are looking at today, which is Genesis chapter 4. So in Genesis chapter 4, we have this kind of brief introduction in verse 1 to 2. And in verse 1 to 2, it says that Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant to and became, gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. So what we see here is actually very positive uh, because Adam and Eve still seem to have a relationship with God. They thank God and they recognize God is the one who has given them the ability to have these two children, Cain and Abel. And that's very positive because the blessing that God had given them in Genesis 1 and 2 to fill the earth still continues to be there. So even though they're cast out of the Eden or the Garden of Eden, even though the world is under the curse, even though they are under the curse, God still blesses them. Now, this is very important because um, it shows that God still persists with looking after, blessing, and caring for his people. So as we look at the graph again, uh, we were asking the question, are things going to get better? Are things going to get worse? Are they going to stay the same? We see that actually God continues to bless them. And this is a very positive sign because in chapter 1, verse 28, God blessed them and said that they could have children. But there's a second blessing, which I think is the whole key to understanding the whole of Genesis, which is Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And this is how really the whole of Genesis is going to continue. Because in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God had promised that through the seed or the offspring of the woman, Eve, there will come one who will crush the head of the snake and destroy the serpent or destroy Satan. And so as we look at the beginning here of Genesis chapter 1 and 2, it is very positive. God blesses the the, 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 uh, the, the, the couple with children and they recognize that the children come from God. And also there's this possibility that out of this line of, uh, of Cain and Abel, perhaps the snake crusher will come and therefore Satan and the power of the serpent will be broken and then things will be restored again. So this is the question that we're faced now. What is going to happen? Are things going to get better or are things going to get worse? So now we return back to the passage. So as we look back to verse 3 now, or sorry, um, verse 2b, it says, Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, 
And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions for some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now, in Genesis chapter 4, we're given, uh, 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 I guess, a brevity, uh, a very short description of what's happening. If you look at the structure, it's, it's Abel, Cain, Cain, Abel. Just short discussions of what's happening. But it's important to see and read carefully uh, what is actually being said here. So Cain was uh, a vegetable farmer, right? And uh, Abel kept flocks, okay? He kept sheep or whatever. And they both offered offerings to God. The bottom line was that uh, Cain's offering was rejected and Abel's offering of his vegetables was accepted. Now, it's not as if God preferred meat to vegetables. Uh, we need to pay attention to the text, like I said. So let's look at the text, which gives us a few clues as to why it was that one brother's offering was rejected and one brother's offering was accepted. So Abel here brought an offering. And how is the offering described? He, dis- he brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. So it seems here that Abel brought the very best of his flock. Because fat represented the best parts of his flock. <clears throat> but it wasn't just the fat but it was the firstborn. It wasn't like, you know, he took the leftovers or the sick or the weak, but the very firstborn of the flock he brought to God. Whereas Cain, it says, in contrast, brought some of the fruit. So already you can see that there is this contrast between Cain's offering, which is some, and Abel, which is the very, very best. So as we look at this passage, uh, we see that that it wasn't as if God this you know liked the, the meat and didn't like vegetables. It was the quality of the offering, and the quality of the offering re- reflected the heart, reflected the inner attitude of Cain and Abel. So in Hebrews chapter eleven, it says, "By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice." than Cain did. And the reason why it was is because the external offering of the very best showed that Cain didn't come by faith, that Abel came by faith, and Abel genuinely, sincerely from the heart wanted to worship God. So the problem that Cain really had wasn't just that his offering was substandard, The problem really was that Cain had a heart problem. He had an attitude problem. Okay, And that's why what we read next shouldn't surprise us. Because not only was his offering rejected, but as we come back to the text, we see that Cain was very angry and his face was black. His his face was downcast. He didn't he didn't like that God didn't want to accept his substandard offering and that even though his heart and his attitude was a problem, he was still angry. 
And he was angry at his brother. He was angry at God. So in verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why are you downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So we see already that Cain had an attitude problem, a heart problem. He became angry, his face was black, but God sees that this attitude problem, that this anger problem was going to lead to an even bigger problem. And he warns, he warns Cain, he said, look, you are in grave danger. Sin is like this predatory animal which wants to to jump on you as prey and it wants to devour you, it wants to master you and it wants to rule over you, but you must you must fight against your sin and, and instead of having sin rule over you, you must rule over sin. But sadly, as we look at this passage, Adam, sorry, uh, Cain did not pay attention to God because it says in verse 8, Now Cain said to his brother, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now, as we read this passage, perhaps we are overly familiar with the passage and, you know, everybody kind of like knows Cain and Abel. But this verse here is meant to shock us. We can see that the, the writer wants to, to, to highlight just how horrifying this uh, incident is because he keeps repeating the word brother. Cain said to his brother Abel. Cain attacked his brother Abel. The Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? He said, am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. And so here we see the full extent of the horror of what Cain has done to his brother. Actually, I I, um, I was going to show um, a picture uh, of this man's hands and blood. But I thought that it might be uh, overly dramatic, so so I I, I didn't do it right because you know uh, this is a this is a G rating sermon. Uh, I didn't want to really do that, but you can feel the horror of what happened in this incident. Where if you think of it, right, Cain, we don't know whether he strangled his brother, whether he hit him on the head with a rock, whether he uh, you know hit him with a stick. But he killed his defenseless, innocent brother for the, whose basically only crime was to worship God in faith. Now, as we see what happens here, we see that within the space of Genesis 3 and 4, in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve choose to cross the line to be independent from God, to rule the world themselves, to rule themselves. And within the space of another chapter to the next generation, Cain 
commits murder, heinous murder of an innocent brother who had done nothing wrong to him except to worship God. He was motivated by envy, jealousy, and rage. So if we look at the trajectory of what has happened, we can see that things have gotten from bad to worse. So he was angry because his uh, his fruit was rejected, but in his heart he knew that he wasn't really worshipping God by faith, and he wasn't offering the very best. And so what has been the trajectory of the story? It, things are not getting better. In fact, things are getting worse. We see in Genesis 3 the rejection of God, and now we see the murder of a brother. Hands full of blood. But that's not all, is it? Because as we look at the passage, as we pay attention <clears throat> to the short description that's given to us, I want you to notice the response of Abel, Cain to God when he killed his brother. So let's look a bit here at the conversation that happens between God and Cain. In verse 9, the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied, am I my brother's keeper? Now, this is shocking, really shocking. There is no regret. There are no tears running down his face. There is no remorse. There is no repentance. Instead, there is only hardness of heart, a, a complete absence of any guilty conscience whatsoever. Now, I think that as we are reading from Genesis 3 to Genesis 4, we are meant to, in many ways, compare uh, the reaction of Cain to the reaction of Adam, his father, when they sinned. So again, when you look back between the passages, uh, oh, sorry, did I skip something? Oh, yeah. So also, uh, if you look back, when Cain kills um uh, his brother, we see the similarity. Okay, so in the Garden of Eden, the serpent, sin or Satan have mastery or rules over man and therefore men and women, Adam and Eve, reject God. And here, remember, God says sin desires to rule over Cain and he must fight back against Satan. But again, we see that the serpent and sin has victory or dominion or rule and Cain kills his brother. And so here again, as we compare the, the, the experience of Adam in the garden and the experience of Cain outside the garden, we see that things have gotten worse. So in the garden, when God had confronted Adam and he said, you've eaten from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that I told you not to eat from. What did the man, what did Adam say? The woman you put here with me, she gave me fruit and I ate it. He makes excuses. Adam makes excuses, no doubts about it, but he confesses, he acknowledges that he did wrong. But if we look here at the, uh, the, the account of Cain, what does Cain do? He instead of acknowledges his sin. Instead, he deflects, he rejects any idea of what's happening. His heart, compared to his brother, 
sorry, his father has grown completely hardened against sin. So what we see here truly is that they are now down this slippery slope, right? So if if the Garden of Eden was like the light and they're moving into uh, Genesis 3, it's getting darker, then truly uh, by Genesis chapter 4, we would say that things have become very, very dark, with just a faint glimmer of light. And we see here, uh, yeah, Adam and Eve feel shame, but they acknowledge they're wrong. But really, Cain is just shaking his fist against God and saying, you know, who are you to ask me about Abel? Okay, so as we come back now to the text, we come to the next generations. We're told of the generations from Cain to Lamech. Uh, if you count them, there are actually seven generations. Okay, seven generations. So in the Bible, seven is like a complete number. So when we come from uh, Cain all the way to Lamech, seven generations. So it symbolizes like this is the fullness of the line of Cain. And as we come to Lamech, we see that great advances have been made. So even though Cain was cursed by God, uh, there's urbanization. They learn how to make work with metals. There is music. Uh, they learn how to use uh, use musical instruments. There are uh, mechanical skills. There's uh, farming skills which are being developed. But that's not what the the text and that's not what God is really interested in. Instead, when we turn to the person of Lamech, uh, we see that actually uh, God is more concerned with sin and the advancement of sin. So let's turn now to the person of Lamech in verse 19. So it says here, Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other one, Zillah. And Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of the one who lives in tents, okay, so on and so forth. All these people who uh, can play all these instruments. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. The wives of Lamech, hear my words. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech, 77 times. So the first thing that we notice here, it's almost like an off-the-cuff comment, almost so that you can miss it. But something significant has happened here. Because Lamech, it says, married Two women. Now, as we have read from the, the lines and the genealogies so far, uh, we see that all along they have been marrying in terms of one man, one woman. And that was God's intention for his original creation. So if you remember, when God had first uh, gave the instruction in chapter 1, he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and become one flesh. So obviously one flesh means one plus one equals one. Not one plus one plus one equals one, right? It's like, this is God's original intention. But Lamech married two women. And by marrying two women, he actually broke the, the commandment of God. It's an expression of the independence of Lamech. It's an expression of how they want to be God and rule themselves. And this is the result. That instead of having this one flesh intention of God, uh, Lamech now has decided, 
I don't want to do what God tells me to do. I'm going to marry two women. And so again, as we see the trend, things are getting worse to worse as man rules himself. There is murder. There is rebellion against God. There's hardness of heart. And now there is polygamy or bigamy. But that's not all. Because we are given here a poem where Lamech boasts to his two wives. Now this poem is very, very significant. Uh, we don't really notice it because we, we, we it's hard for us to see it's, uh, in English that it is a poem. But this is actually a second poem in the book of Genesis. So if we look back to the first poem, it was a beautiful poem. It was a truly beautiful poem. So the first poem is uh, in the creation account where the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. But now compare it to the poem of Lamech. Right? So this was Adam's poem and now this is Lamech's poem. Adam Zilla, listen to me, wives of Lamech. Hear my words. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. So one poem is filled of uh, joy, the joy of creation, harmony of relationship. The other poem is full of anger, boasting, uh, violence. It, it's a it's a poem mocking God, whereas the poem of Adam is a one of thanksgiving to God. And exactly what is so bad about this poem comes out even more as we look at the content of the poem. So it says here, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. So if you remember, when God cursed Cain, for killing his brother. He put a mark somewhere on uh, Cain, maybe on his face, so that whenever anybody else came across Cain, they wouldn't kill Cain because they knew he was under the protection of God. And if anything happened to Cain, the person that killed Cain would be avenged by God seven times. But Lamech here says, I am more powerful than God. I am greater than God. I don't need God to avenge me. I can avenge myself and my vengeance is 77 times greater than God himself. So Lamech here, seven generations out from Cain, mocks God, taunts God and makes fun of God. He says, I am more powerful than God. I can avenge myself. Who is God? I don't need God to protect me. But that's not all, right? Because as we see in this passage, we see this this movement where Cain was bad right, in, in terms of he denies knowledge, he's got hardness of heart when he murders his brother. But when we see Lamech, Lamech is even worse than Cain because he glorifies in his murder. He exalts in murdering people. He exalts in his violence. And so as we come to this passage, we see that that Lamech is a person that goes beyond wounding people for injuring him to killing them. Now, the original audience of 
the book of Genesis will be very familiar that God is a just God and he expects his people to be just. An eye for an eye, a hand for a hand. So if you, if you injure someone, then the punishment should be equivalent to the crime. But Lamech doesn't care about an eye for an eye, a hand for a hand. He will wound you. If you wound him or you, you brush against him or whatever, he will kill you and he rejoices and exalts in the violence of his life. And so the sad thing here is that we see in Lamech the escalation of the murder of Cain to gross violence. Right? It wasn't enough that Cain murdered his brother and that he became hard and hard. By the seventh generation of Cain, there is polygamy, there's bigamy, and there's wanton violence all over the place. So as we come to uh, the end of Cain's line, there is the death of Abel, and there seems to be only blackness. Um, I, 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 someone compared uh, the line of Lamech to a drop of oil, uh, like an oil spill, uh, which then you know, spreads out further and further and further. But I think that actually it's worse than that, right? It's worse than that. Because what happens is, it's not that sin spreads further and further, but sin spreads further and further, but gets worse and worse. Right? So what happens is, oops, sorry, if you go back again, it's not as if the rebellion of Adam and Eve just gets worse, uh, just spreads throughout their generation and their children. It, it's actually getting worse and worse. It leads to murder, hardness of heart, a, a boasting of violence and polygamy. So, in my mind, it's not so much that what we see here is like an oil spill which gets worse, you know, further and further away. Is that things are actually getting worse and worse and worse. So, uh, okay, this is just some funny thing I picked up, right? It's like. There's a fire which started, but it just gets worse and it gets more intense as, as every generation comes along. So as we come to um, uh, the end of this section of Lamech, where does violence come from? Where does murder come from? Where does all this boasting and sin come from? It doesn't come from God, but it comes from man. I was reading um, uh, this book um, quite a while ago. It's called uh, Fields of Blood, Religion and the History of Violence. And it's very fashionable uh, in this day and age to blame wars and violence on religion. But I was reading this book, and what this book um, seems to say is actually religion is not the problem of violence, but rather humanity is the problem for violence. Cain killed his brother Abel not because of religion, but because of sin. The excuse for violence can be religion, just as the excuse can be land or greed or jealousy or pride or ego. The problem is not so much with all the excuses. The problem resides in humanity. And she gives an example of how in the very uh, earliest human settlement, city, so to speak, uh, archaeologists have found a wall and the wall is not to keep out animals, but the wall is designed to keep out other human beings. 
So right from the very beginning of humanity, man has been worried about violence from other men. See, it's just like my, uh, my, uh, what do you call it? This club that my father had, right? It's like, why, why does my father have this club in, uh, in his house? And, and, and by the way, if you want to bring to my house now, it's lying beside my bed or so. So this club is, a, is for you if you're coming and breaking to my house, right? So why do we carry clubs? You know, why, why do we build walls? It's because we are worried about violence from other humans, right? I'm not using this to hit my dog or something, right? He's not going to attack me in the middle of the night. It's, it's to protect myself against other humans. And, and the problem is humanity. Humanity is the problem. It's the same reason why they build, uh, they put plastic covers to protect the taxi drivers and they're thinking about doing that for the bus driver, right? It's, it's not because of religion, it's because humans are, are violent people. And so in history, if you think about uh, the acts of violence that we've seen, it's terrible. So, uh, you know, Mao apparently uh, under his rule killed 78 million, Stalin killed 20 million, Pol Pot killed 7 million, and Hitler uh, killed 6 million Jews. And I remember this quote by Stalin. He said, one death is a tragedy, uh, one million is a statistic. It means that after a while you kill so many people, uh, people just don't care. So uh, there was this guy called William Golding. He wrote this book, which is very famous, called The Lord of the Flies. And he said, I began to see what people were doing, capable of doing. Anyone who moves through those years without understanding that man produces evil as a bee produces honey must have been blind or wrong in the head. So what we've seen here is that the fundamental problem of violence and sin in this world is because humans are unable to resist the power and the dominion and the rule of sin in our lives. So what then is the solution? Well, as we come to the very end of Genesis chapter 4, there is a glimmer of hope which points to the solution. So verse 25, it says, Adam made love to his wife again. and She gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. So here we see that there is no hope in the line of Cain, no hope in the line of Lamech, but God is gracious, God is loving, God cares for humanity. He gives another son, and this son is the son called Seth. And from this line, will bring the possibility of a person who will crush the head of the serpent. Through this line will come the one to solve the problem of murder and will solve the problem of sin itself. And we know that this person coming into the future is Jesus. Jesus will be the one who will indeed solve the problem of sin's dominion over man and also of the problem of violence and sin in this world. So here as we look at this passage, it points us all the way forward to Jesus who will be that serpent crusher, who will destroy the power of sin and Satan in this world over humanity. And we also know that Jesus is the one 
whose blood will bring the forgiveness for all the blood that has been shed in this world because of violence. So as we come to the very end of this passage, we see that it began with the problem of Cain, the problem of sin and rejection and violence and murder and boastfulness. It shows us the power of Satan reaching out from even beyond Eden into the world outside of Eden. But the solution only comes in Jesus. He is the one who will crush the power of Satan in the world. And he is the one who will bring forgiveness for the rebellion and the sinfulness of man and solve the problem of violence in this world. So let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we thank you that you are God who is so persistent and patient with this world. That though Adam and Eve failed you, Cain was even worse, and Lamech was even worse than Cain. But yet you did not give up on humanity, and you, in your gracious blessing, gave Adam and Eve another line, the line of Seth. And we know that through Seth would come Jesus, and Jesus would be the one who would be the serpent crusher and destroy the dominion and rule of Satan and sin in the lives of men and women. And that Jesus would be the one who would shed blood on the cross. Through, through his blood would pay for all the, the violence and all the blood that has been shed in this world. And that through Jesus, you would solve the problem of violence and sin and murder in the hearts of men. We thank you so much for you are such a great God. And we confess that we are such sinful beings. Help us to be transformed in our hearts to be all the more thankful to you, seeing the reality of who we are and who you are. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.